Welcome back to another episode of the Max Term Podcast. Kyle Stitch here alongside James Finch. And today we are doing a kind of current events leading into the trade deadline. We've had a couple trades happen, definitely some smoke going around. So we're going to get into that in anticipation of the deadline, which will be a week out from when this episode is, is released. No uh, second episode next week. We're gonna we're gonna just wait until the trade deadline. Do kind of a reaction to that. So if you if you are a regular listener, we appreciate that. But no second episode. We'll probably go a little longer in this one. Then probably give a good recap after the trade deadline's over. So with that, we do appreciate you listening. If this is your first time or a long time listener, subscribing Max Term Podcast is available on pretty much every single major podcast platform. Most of the con. Tent we will be posting as we as the trade deadline kind of rolls around will be available at AFP Analytics. We're going to break down trades, provide kind of context for w- rental players as it comes to like contract extensions and stuff like that. We've been kind of on a rolling basis updating our midseason projections. At some point, they'll just probably become offseason projections, but good portion of the bigger names that are might be rent looked at as rental players their projected salary is definitely already available at afp analytics uh it's pinned right to the the top of the page so no problem that's on x formerly twitter and our personal accounts can both be found there as well so in this episode we're kind of hitting on current events giving our thoughts and opinions no inside information so don't don't tweet that max term podcast is reporting something we're not reporting something we're kind of going through with our musings and stuff on what's publicly available so let's get into kind of where we sit got a week or so until the deadline as we're sitting here recording at least and the first place to start is with a retroactive trade. Chris Tanev from Calgary to Dallas via New Jersey, basically. So Dallas is getting Chris Tanev for $1.125 million cap hit for the rest of the season. Calgary, couple picks. Probably the centerpiece of that is a second-round draft pick in this year's draft. New Jersey gets a fourth-round pick for their trouble. But really, Chris Tanev for a second-round pick and a little bit more, but neither of the other pieces are, well, Dallas would be ecstatic if they have to give up a third-round pick because that means they made a deep playoff run. Otherwise, pretty pretty inconsequential, the rest of the assets in that trade. Yeah, so I, I think it would make sense to kind of look at this team by team. I guess the easy place to start would be Calgary. It's an underwhelming return. I think for kind of the expectation uh, as far as right shot defensemen, there was kind of, I, I guess a, a group of guys, there wasn't necessarily a clear top one available uh, at the deadline, but Tanov was arguably, depending on the type of defenseman you're looking for, are arguably the top guy. And really, so it's a second round pick, but it's almost a third. You're, most likely going to be late into the second round with that pick. The prospect that was acquired, Grushnikov, from what I've seen, it seems to be kind of a, like, you hope he turns into a solid bottom pair guy, which is useful to have, but it's not necessarily a a flashy piece to acquire. 
And yeah, so that conditional third, if it comes over, great. It's for the most part a dart throw in the draft. But for Calgary, pretty much underwhelming. So I would say that there's a potential that Tanev might end up being the best right shot defenseman moved. I guess I guess maybe there might be a debate if Sean Walker has moved there, but Tanev might end up being the best kind of right shot defenseman available at, at the deadline because I think one of the players that could be moved, but I wouldn't bet on it is Matt Roy, who we would both definitely favor over Tanev. But again, that's probably 50-50 at best as to whether or not that he's available. So I, I Tanev might be the best, and Dallas got him for just a second-round pick. I My instant reaction was this is very underwhelming for Calgary, and more so other teams, namely the Maple Leafs and probably the Facilitator Devils, should have been involved as well in this because there was really no reason that they couldn't have beat that asking price. I think it comes down to the team, the Flames in this situation, potentially doing a little bit right by the player and that might have diminished their return and that I think goes a long way of as far as showing kind of players especially Calgary's been a destination where players have wanted out of so doing right by the players and showing that you're going to try and put their best interest in mind is worth something so taking a little bit less to do right by Tanov is definitely a consideration that has to factor in here yeah it's a kind of go a little further with that some of the comments made by Conroy the GM and Tan of himself kind of alluded to there seemed to be a bit of a push to find a clear contender to send him to which Dallas is about as clear as it can get they're right up towards the top of contenders moving into kind of looking at the Dallas aspect of this obviously they acquired probably an ideal second pair shutdown defender doesn't really bring much offense. Great for them. Hockenpah is hurt. And just in general, they could probably use a little bit more depth on defense. That was one of the areas we've highlighted in past episodes. But for me, the big thing is all of that salary retention leaves them, I believe, with a projected, I believe it's a touch over $2 million in the deadline cap space which is, honestly, that, that's plenty for them to go make another move if they feel they need it. So the so right now, Evgeny Dadnov's on long-term injured reserve, so that's basically their, their cap space right now. Um, so whether or not he stays on that for the rest of the season will factor whether they do have that $2 million available. I'm not he, 100% he, sure with the dad and off injury but i believe that was some type of fracture in his leg um, that could kind of carry towards the end of the year so i mean if it if it is close i don't want to like accuse any team of of doing something nefarious here but at the same point if it's close like a week or two it's easy to keep the player out an extra week or two i mean it's in some instances it might be for the player's best interest too to give them a little bit more time to recover so so they might have about two million to work with they they're probably going to kind of roll like they might 
they can only send some money out too. So yeah, getting Tana of just over a million dollars, even if they do want to make another move, it's it's a lot easier to send one player out kind of contract wise if you need to match some money opposed to, you know, now we got to find a little bit more money to work with. So Dallas pro- probably doesn't have to be done if they don't want to be. Exactly. And that's kind of the... For me, obviously, acquiring Tanov is a win, but the silver lining here is to get them at that salary is is big for really their future deadline plans, we'll call it. The next team, I guess, involved here, the, the third team was New Jersey. They end up getting a fourth-round pick, so they retained 50% off of what was already 50% retained. So... They ended up retaining 50% off of 2250000 That got them a fourth-round pick in 2026, which for the purpose of asset management for the Stars, that pick does not matter at all. For New Jersey, it's interesting. I think Twitter or X was kind of back and forth on why New Jersey was involved. Like, what does that pick matter? I don't know how you feel. My perspective of this is you have the ability to retain salary. Why not pick up that extra asset, whether it's used now or later? It's something that could eventually be used for almost doing nothing. I'm generally fine with the idea. I just question maybe in this specific instance a little bit the thought process, especially as I said, they probably should have been one of the teams involved for the player and i i'm not gonna i i don't know what else what else they may or may not be planning but if that kind of hinders them making a future move which i don't think it necessarily has to or will but if that is kind of their deadline move is just doing that a couple times i think that's a failure because they have they have a, a good roster that definitely has some holes that they really should try and fill but generally speaking i like the idea of yeah anytime you can pick up anything for free basically you do it i mean there's that that's so in this yeah. instance i don't love new jersey potentially doing it we'll, we'll see how everything shakes out over the next week but in general teams especially like a chicago blackhawks should absolutely be doing it yeah, so so for for New Jersey, if if this is all they do, it's questionable, and it's not even this move is questionable. It, it's more not doing anything else is questionable. But in general, retaining salary, acquiring an asset, it shouldn't limit them. That amount of salary should not limit them. I think they're up to. A little over eight million in deadline cap space now. Dougie Hamilton's on LTIR, but I believe that's expected to stay that way up until the playoffs, at least. So this really shouldn't limit the ability to go acquire. I think really the big question with New Jersey is, do they pull off a big move to make a push? Because right now they're kind of sitting outside, looking in to the playoffs. So I think I think that's kind of overview of our the Tanov trade. Fine by Calgary, probably 
should have done a little bit better, but factoring in the fact that they seemingly wanted to do right by the player, I, I can't, we can't sit here and knock them too much. Great by Dallas, and they and Dallas still has some room. New Jersey, fine to pick up a fourth-round pick, but I think both of us are hoping to see a little bit more from them. Yeah. So the next, I guess, topic we'll, we'll get into before kind of just doing a quick like look around Elias Pedersen smoke as it comes to a contract extension and then shortly before we sat down to record this also some level of trade smoke that might have led to the smoke of the contract extension so I I I thought you were going to want to talk about the Alex Nylander trade but uh guess not We'll, we'll skip that one probably not too much to say yeah, so Pedersen, from the beginning of the season, it really seemed like this was going to wait until after the season, any resolution to the situation. And really in the recent weeks, there started to be a little bit of noise, and as you said, where there's smoke, there's usually fire. The question was kind of like what what was causing the fire or what blew up, wh- however you want to think of it why now and it kind of makes sense that okay it's the trade deadline maybe something's going on there and supposedly that is the case and it was the Carolina Hurricanes poking around I've been uh campaigning for well I've been campaigning for an Elias Pedersen 2024 offer sheet that's that's my campaign 2024 and my kind of presidential candidate for this campaign has always been Nashville, but my vice presidential candidate has been the Carolina Hurricanes. So the fact that they've been involved, were kind of poking around makes a lot of sense. Uh, the fact that that has triggered a change in seemingly an extension getting done is interesting because it seems like I mean, Pedersen has the right to wait to the end of the season. Let's 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 say that. And Vancouver still would be able to retain his rights. But I think the team starting to f- was probably starting to feel a little like, well, maybe he's not willing to commit to us long term. It's like I don't know exactly why that feeling arose, but it seems like that's what happened. And that's what's leading to now the extension chatter. Yeah, so certain reports pretty much had said that or alluded to Vancouver feeling uneasy about the situation and that things got far enough along with Carolina talking trade that they went back to Pedersen and said, we need to know. And that kind of is what has spurred the negotiations picking back up for the contract which in a way almost fits how it's been all along of Pedersen not really wanting to make this a big loud thing and now it's turning into a big loud big loud thing so let's figure it out but it is almost it's a little interesting to me that Vancouver was supposedly willing to go that far down the road of talking a trade to the point of, and again, this isn't us with any sources and reporting anything, David 
Pagnata had mentioned that he believed the names discussed were Martin Nekis and Jesper Kakaniemi, which makes sense, a couple pieces at least coming back. But th- the fact that it got that far down the road with names feels interesting to me. It's We didn't purposely put out our episode on the Carolina Hurricanes kind of pending free agents, but we kind of... We kind of talk through exactly why it makes sense that Anekis especially would be included in this trade talks. And and if they're going to acquire Pedersen, they would certainly have to send out some more long-term money, which is where Kokaniemi makes sense. And that also makes a lot of sense for Vancouver potentially being interested in acquiring him. So Pedersen, it seems like we'll now make the commitment to Vancouver. That's what Frank saravalli has been kind of on the most. That, um, I'll give him the most credit on this one because he was definitely first on board with kind of some sm- uh, more smoke around an extension here. So let's get into, we were debating when we wanted to talk about this and stuff, but I think, I think let's get into it now. Our projection for Elias Pettersson and frankly why we're expecting we're probably going to be wrong and why that's okay because that's it's not okay but we're sticking to our process and that's kind of what it is one thing i want to mention before we get too deep into it is this next conversation about this situation relates a little bit to the episode we had talking about ufa and rfa So that would be a good listen um, at some point here to really give you the full picture. But I guess the way I would maybe bring this up is we got some interactions on X that brought up William Nylander. And, oh, well, how, pretty much saying, how does Nylander get um, eleven and a half million, and your projection. So, so our projection was seven years, at about ten point eight million. So the what was brought up was pretty much how does Nylander get a million more than what you're projecting for Patterson? And I'm gonna kind of let you handle this answer because you've you've got it pretty much perfectly. Yeah. So there there's a couple things that come into play here. First, William Nylander would have been a pending unrestricted free agent, free to talk to any team age 27, 28 years old when this contract would have started. I should have I should have confirmed that before I started talking. So, yeah, that's that's exactly right for for Nylander. And the fact that he his contract is buying all unrestricted free agent years is not is very significant. I guess I'll put it that way. The team, if they wanted to play hardball with Pedersen, could get it more in the eight nine million dollar range because of the they changed some things up in the collective bargaining agreement to kind of eliminate the what would be called a poison pill, if you will, at the end of the uh, restricted free agent years before the qualifying offer was based on the salary in the last year. Now it's based on kind of the average annual value so if the team wanted to play more of a hardball which they they can't because he's their superstar player for he becomes an unrestricted free agent so patterson signed what's generally termed a bridge deal after his entry-level contract so his entry-level contract was three years then he signed another three-year contract 
which will expire after this season. So this means the only players that we would consider comparable players are those who signed their contract while still having a level of uh, restricted free agent status. So some of the there's very few players basically that are going to fit that mold. And that's kind of the problem when it comes to the projection is Pedersen is going to be unique. So our projection, we set parameters to to kind of factor in age and contract situation and then try to find the most comparable players based off of that. There are just not many in that sample. And the re- really the <laughs> really the one that is in here that would bring it highest is Austin Matthews and even that's like a level of like questionable because of contract situations. So he was at least still kind of a restricted, but set to be an unrestricted. I think the best one that I can really point to is kind of pun intended. Braden point with the lightning is the most similar comparison. Nikita Kucherov as well with the lightning. Those are probably the two that were most comparable situationally. And I guess another who's not necessarily in our comparables for Pedersen, but recently happened with Matthew Kachuk. Those are the players, those are the best sample. And so when we're doing this projection, we have to stick to basically our process. The player had to sign their contract at 25, 26 years old. That's the only way that we, that um, our kind of method works. Is we have is we set is those age parameters are one of the driving forces, and superstar players generally don't do a bridge contract. It just does not happen. So the only way that we can really bring Patterson higher, like even the highest comps in our sample outputted out excluding Austin Matthews, would bring his contract just around eleven million dollars. So if he gets 12, it's it's he's pushing new boundaries. And we it is what it is. I mean, we're going to if if he gets over 12, I'm not going to be shocked especially considering what Nylander got. But based on our per, model projection, we we are we have to stick to our process. So we're going we're probably going to be off and it is what it is. I don't like saying that, but we we kind of talked offline how there's other factors involved, but it's it's sticking to our process or considering the other factors. And for Patterson, sticking to our process wins out. It can be hard with the high level superstar top players of the league because they're not all of the time, but there's a potential for them to push to try and reset the market. Now, Matthews, I think, was viewed as resetting the market, but that was also a very weird new style of a contract signing for four years. It was very unusual. So while I don't want to say it doesn't matter, it is kind of an outlier here. It's not the usual deal that you would use as a comp um so i you in 
in a way could say Pedersen may be looking to reset the market below Matthews, below, I guess we'll say a McKinnon probably. Um, Because there is kind of a gap between those players who very recently signed those new deals and kind of where everyone is currently at. Um, So there's a part of this that, based on our process, there's a nat. This is almost kind of a natural thing that is going to happen at times for these higher level players. One other player that I think you might be listening and wondering a little bit about, given we've been talking about, oh, they have to have RFA status. Connor McDavid would be like, is he a comparable? No, because, and it's not because he's in a league of his own as a performance-wise, it's because he signed that immediately off his entry-level contract and bought mostly restricted free agent years. So McDavid's contract is in its own kind of stratosphere, and Pedersen, again, has has is going basically on his third contract. So we have to look at players that signed like 25, 26 onto their third contract. And there's just not many superstars that have done that. Even McKinnon was 27, 28, depending on how you want to look at ages. So, again, it, it's not great. I We're probably going to be... Again, it seems like twelve million could be the num around the number, so that puts us one point three million off, which is far without outside where we usually are. But also, it is what it is, and I, I again, I don't like saying that, but I think that needs to be said that we're sticking to our process, we're sticking to our guns, basically for this. And hey, I mean, he's a superstar who's going to reset the market. That's that's how you have to look at it. So now that we've got through kind of some of the retroactive stuff, let's look a little bit towards what we expect to happen in the future. And that's teams acquiring players, obviously. So I'm going to kind of give an overview of some of the teams that I expect should be buyers. And then James will kind of give you some players that we're, that we're kind of thinking could be available for that. So, I mean, starting at the top of the league, the Florida Panthers seem like legitimate. Well, they probably are are the cup favorite. They should be the cup favorite at this point. And they're a team that really should go all in as well. We've laid this out in past episodes that this could kind of be the end of their core. So they they really need to take advantage of of anything they can they they currently actually do have a little cap space so they basically have enough deadline cap space to add a 5.7 million dollar player so there that's a good portion of the players that would be available so forward defense they're probably going to stick with what they have in goal because Bob Roski's been very good this year uh, so I would imagine they're going to add someone forward defense. Any any names that you want to kind of hone in on for them? Well, so I would almost expect them to maybe try to bring in a couple people or a couple players with that money. But I do want to throw out Anthony Mantha uh, just because you said $5.7 million and that's exactly what his cap hit is. I don't think if he gets traded, um, a team's bringing in that full 5.7. There's most likely salary retained, but... 
that was an interesting connection right there. And he would be someone I could see them at going after. It's kind of that middle six winger. Looking at their roster, pretty good up front, but Nick Cousins is usually a little higher in the lineup than he probably should be. That's really where a forward would fit in. That's usually on the wing. So a, a winger would make sense, whether it's a, a Mantha, maybe they look for like a... I don't know, maybe a Jason Zucker. That that was that was my name for Florida. That would be a really good fit. Um, on the defensive side, really, th- there's some top names like Hannafin and Walker. Hannafin's been connected in rumors to Florida, so I could see them maybe doing that. But I would also wonder maybe if, like, I guess if Philly does decide to sell, maybe not. A, it might not be Walker, but maybe Nick Sealer would be a fit there. Um, that would make a lot of sense. I do want to throw out one forward name, Max Pacioretty. That would be interesting to me. Two million AV, and if they were to retain on that, very low. I feel like he wouldn't cost very much, and would be f- fairly easy to bring in just from a cap space and a trade asset standpoint. Yeah, I just I don't have the sense that w- the Capitals are gonna do that. Um, that's that's just my and and maybe the same on Mantha, but maybe a little less so. I guess I will say that Petretti being a kind of veteran on a one one year contract could be someone that does get a little like if he says, "Hey, I I would like this opportunity." Maybe the team does grant that, so maybe maybe that's how it happens. But I think they could easily bring in like a zucker and a sealer if zucker had some money retained on him like they can make that work cap wise and then that fills out their roster really nicely i mean walker same thing even noah hannafin they they could fit a zucker and a hannafin they would just need both basically money retained on both and that's i guess there would be a little bit of a question of do they have enough assets to make that work i we won't get into that with this with this episode but uh, Florida has the ability to make some noise at the deadline, and they absolutely should. Winnipeg, I'm not sure how much they're going to do. They're another top team, but I'm not sure they push many chips in. I, you can disagree with me if you want. I don't necessarily disagree. On, I guess initially I would say, yeah, I want to see them do something more, but after the Monaghan move, there's not a lot of space amongst the forward group to add someone everyone's kind of in their role no clear you're going to scratch a certain player defensively they're kind of good maybe they would add like a a depth someone who gets scratched and is just there in case someone gets hurt and in goal they're they're fine there so i mean between hellebuck and brassois who is one of the better backups in the league uh, again, maybe another situation they acquire a third guy just in case, but I, I don't know if they really have room on the roster at the moment unless someone goes down. That's that's where I'm kind of at with them. I mean, as you said, maybe they add a depth defenseman in our trade boards. We each had someone. You had Zach Bogosian. I had Dakota Mermis, both with Minnesota. Both of those could make sense. Like That's the type of player they're looking at. Even Nick Sealer as you just mentioned like he he really should be a regular but if you're looking to bolster your depth a little maybe that's a player that they look for 
But if Winnipeg did nothing, basically at this point, I, w- I would not be surprised at all because, as you said, they don't really have a roster place. I, I think they would be okay, too. Like, if, if they're done and it was just the Monaghan move, that, that's fine. So arms raced in, in the East, Rangers and Bruins as well. The Rangers have some space because of injuries, long-term injured reserve space. The Bruins have kind of a little bit of room as well themselves to add. I I would expect both. Actually, I, I guess I don't know if I expect the Bruins to make a massive move. They could. I do expect the Rangers to do something big, though. So... I would like to see the Rangers go and acquire their former winger, uh, Pavel Bipnevich, from the Blues. I didn't know which former winger you were going to go with because Frank Vitrano has been linked to them as well. Yes, and honestly, that would be a very good, I I don't even want to call it a consolation prize to Bipnevich, but I I think I would target Bipnevich first, but Vitrano would be a great addition they need some scoring, ideally. They're fine in goal. I think their defense is actually a very solid defense defensive group. So it's really just getting more depth up front. So and Philip Heedle being out, maybe you try and find a center, but there's really not much out there. I mean, you're, you're probably looking at like a a Nick Dowd if he's made available, and that could be a steep price because. Not a lot of centers. Maybe, and I don't know, this I would suppose would be a little tough from a cap space perspective. If they could somehow make retained salaries work to get both Henrique and Vetrano from Anaheim, that would be really interesting for New York. And I, I guess, honestly, for Boston as well, but I think it would be much harder for Boston to make that work. That's more of a Rangers move. I think the Rangers, if they did something like that, could absolutely be moving out like a Capococco in, in, yeah. in that type of move, which $2.1 million not not getting you quite there, but that that's some easy – I'm not going to – not to diminish the player too much, but that's some easy money out. Yes. It's an easier decision than, as you said, Boston would have to make. Uh, Boston, Henrique, Vetrano, both could make sense for them as well. Yes. I mean, they they could also be looking at on the blue line, I would imagine, but they're definitely not adding in goal either. No, I, I think with Boston, a, a lot of the cheaper cap hits, even though teams can retain, Boston is real tight, and I don't know. You could look around the roster and say, well, maybe they'd move this person out, but it kind of creates another hole, and that's not ideal. So I, I, I would wonder about like a, a Zach Bogosian type of player who's – cheap 850 cap hit or AAV I I should say and that level of player if Nashville decides to sell I think Tommy Novak would be a big one for the Bruins considering his low cap hit a player no one's talked about this isn't a trade I saw this mentioned by a couple random people on X and have no reason to believe right now that this would happen but I also kind of wonder has anyone heard from Jonathan Taves recently and those are two teams who could really use that forward depth I wonder if a team would bring him in yeah I I hadn't had that thought but I mean I had mentioned I think 
prior to the season that maybe that was an idea yeah. for Boston at the deadline. And yeah, it absolutely is. To me, the Rangers probably need him, could use him more just, just based on their needs and kind of their roster construction. But yeah, Boston, I think, could send someone out. But as you said, we're it would be retooling to an to an extent. So if I was if I guess if I was making a move for them, I'm looking for maybe a forward. I I don't know if they're going to really find a defenseman that's going to do much more than what they already have. That would be I I really think with the space they have, it it's those depth guys yeah. for them on yeah. defense. Canucks are probably done. They've seemingly made their moves. I mean, they would really be changing things up. They've already acquired both Zadorov and Lindholm. I feel like they're done. I, I just don't know how, where else they fit, what other assets they can send out as long as they get Elias Pettersson signed, of course. True. I would wonder if they're maybe in the market for a forward. There's... They've still got a little space to work with going up to the deadline, uh, around three and a half, I believe. Like you said, too many trades and the assets are going to start depleting quite a bit. But if they're looking to push all their chips in, they've got Mikiev, the top six right now, Pia Suter. These are players who can be solid players, but maybe ideally down a little bit in the lineup than on those top two lines. I don't know. this If they're going to push all their chips in, if Gensel's available, I could see that. Some of those other, we'll call them top wingers that are available, the possibly a Mantha or a Zucker, uh, Vetrano, maybe like a Anthony Duclair. We, have, we haven't mentioned him yet. He was... I'd be shocked if he wasn't available. San Jose should be selling everything they can. I could see a forward here. I, I don't really see a move on defense. Maybe, again, like a depth guy who is not brought in to play right away but is kind of there in case. Their goalie situation's fine. Yeah, I, I Duclair, Duclair's a really good name there. And then another San Jose Sharks forward that... M- could be Barbanov. That could be an interesting depth move for the Canucks. He maybe is not playing in their top six, but would bring probably something to their third line. Also a slightly different type of player. They have a lot of skill. He brings a little bit more grit to their lineup. So, I don't know. May, may, I agree. Maybe the Canucks can add a forward. It really depends how, how willing they are to sell future at, assets at this point do they see themselves as a cup contender i would think they would i don't know if i necessarily see them as that but they probably see themselves as that which means they might as well make another move to to try and make a push dallas could be done but i don't think they should we talked a lot about them to me they need a goalie that that should be their that should be their move is is find someone to to kind of platoon with Ottinger and to an extent Wedgwood yeah I I don't know if at this point they will necessarily view that as a need I think they could probably improve on Wedgwood as a backup but from an asset standpoint what it would take to give up I'm not sure they would really go that route 
they have the space, but I don't necessarily see the the roster space up front. Pretty full lineup. They just called up Stan Coven, and he's been playing very well for them. Bringing in Tanev makes their defense a lot deeper. It's I, I don't even necessarily want to toss out names. I more want to say this could be a team where it, it goes right up to the deadline. If there's an injury, something happens, then maybe we see something, but they very well could be done. I think they I think from a just logically, if they're done, they're probably fine. Uh yeah. so oh, yeah. I, I don't think they have to feel the pressure, but yeah, if someone maybe's out or maybe just someone's floating out there that the price drops a little because the team's looking to to move on. May, maybe they get in like a, you as you've said for other teams, depth defensemen are always are, are always good to add. Maybe they get in the conversation if someone becomes available and add, and add one more guy on the blue line because that's that's not the worst idea by any means. Carolina, I'm not sure how much space they're. I mean, they have space, but they don't have space. Again, goalie could be a need, but Kachakov has been really, really good. So I'm not sure that's necessarily a need. So like a lot of the other teams, maybe a depth forward, maybe a depth defenseman. And as you've been saying, if there's an injury in the next week or so, maybe that changes their their factor. I mean, the Hurricanes probably could add some more scoring, so... Maybe a Vetrano, maybe a Zucker, maybe a Mantha, but I don't see them willing to pay a steep price for any of those type of players. Yeah, I guess the one that would stick out to me is Vetrano, because I, I think Carolina would like the cost certainty of next season. That seems like a move that Carolina would make. But yeah, th- they're another team that I don't know. I I just don't necessarily see like the obvious hole. So it's kind of just a depth piece. If they think they can really improve somewhere, maybe they bring someone in. They they could shock us, and maybe it's Carolina that gets Gensel or something, um, which they could really use a, a top goal scorer like that. But it wouldn't shock me at all to see them just stand pat. Okay, so you threw out Jake Gensel. Let, let me throw out a couple teams that I could see in there, and we'll we'll kind of go from there. So... Colorado Avalanche, Vegas Golden Knights, both to me, though arms race in the West, Edmonton Oilers are are would be another team in the arms race. I don't think I don't know if they're going to be able to swing a deal for Getzel. Maybe they could, but Colorado and Vegas bidding for Getzel would be an ideal scenario for Pittsburgh. The issue is Pittsburgh probably wants some more immediate, younger assets, and I'm not sure how easily those teams can satisfy that desire. Yeah. So the the whole thing with Pittsburgh is kind of weird to me. I I don't fully know what to expect as far as what they want in return. So I mean, usually you sell off a a player who's that good at the deadline it means you are saying, "Okay, we're not making the playoffs. Let's retool, get some young assets, young players or draft picks in," which might end up kind of needing to be the return it might not those acquired assets i'm wondering if they're not with pittsburgh pittsburgh that long if they're flipped this offseason maybe to bring in other nhl pieces i still wonder if they end up just keeping gensel 
and really trying to make that extension work. It's a odd situation. When I think of him getting traded, Vegas is the obvious, like, if I'm putting money on a team, which I'm not, but if I was, I would probably choose Vegas. With Stone going on LTIR, and he's going to be there through the end of the season, possibly into the playoffs even. It would make sense that you're looking for a top goal-scoring winger. That's Gensel. They've got assets to make it happen, too. Even though they're kind of doing this every year, it seems, they still have assets to make it happen. That kind of feels like the if Gensel is available, I would almost be shocked if that was not where he ended up. Yeah, Brisson would be, to me, the name to really focus on. I think that's the name Pittsburgh would want. Whether Vegas would have the appetite for that, I don't know. But I I feel like Pitt, Pittsburgh would, would be targeting Brendan Brisson because he's exactly the type of asset that they should desire. He's basically NHL ready, on a cheaper contract, high upside. So if Vegas is going to – so I think Vegas has to ask themselves, Do are we willing to give up? the future of Brisson for the immediate impact of Getzel. And I, I I don't know if I would lean that way, but Vegas might. That's what they've been doing in recent years. I think there is also potential that Vegas could extend Gensel at some point. Um, they don't have a ton of cap space this offseason. Marchessault and Stevenson are UFA. But if you bring in a player like Gensel, I think he's very much part of the convo of we can't keep all of these guys. Which ones do we keep? So maybe there is interest there long term as well. Other thing I want to point out with Vegas is they have their picks rounds one through three for the next three drafts. So for a team that is always acquiring someone at every deadline, they're not thin as far as assets. So if Pittsburgh is looking for that first-round pick and a top player. Maybe it's a first and Brisson. Maybe maybe it doesn't end up being quite that much, but Vegas has the assets to make it happen. And, and if it isn't Getzel, like, as you said, they have the draft picks that I think other teams, I, I would say especially like Arizona with Zucker, a first-round pick there would probably be perfect. And I, I don't even know if that's the pro- – that might be even too high of a price, but a, fir- a first for Zucker could allow Vegas to, <laughs> they could add Zucker and Getzel even, tr- send Brisson one way, uh, first round pick the other, and really bolster their, their forward group. I'm just I'm just spitballing here, but like, yeah, the options are there, especially with Stone going on LTIR for the rest of the regular season. I do want to mention Bugnevich, I feel like would be a great fit there especially with the cost control of being under contract next season as well at 5.8 million instantly top top six but can play on a top line he's that good the other name it's i I guess i'll say a lesser name but I, i mean that respectfully riley smith i've seen actually mentioned of could he go back maybe if they can't swing one of these bigger names um i could see that potentially but yeah i mean and i i guess i'll throw this out there looking at vegas in theory 
a defenseman could happen, and Hannafin's been thrown out there for Vegas. So they're a team, they, they have the assets, they have the space with Stone on LTIR. They could really make anything happen that they want to happen. I would say I don't know if St. Louis would have an appetite of, cha- of trading uh, Bucinavich kind of in the conference to co- – I'm not going to call him a direct rival, but definitely a team that there's a little bit of a history with as well. So I just – Barbashev. That, that's, that is true, but okay, – yeah, but Barbashev was a pending unrestricted free – I don't know. Anyways, yeah. we'll we'll move on from them. Colorado, I think, could be looking for a forward, definitely a goalie. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say definitely because they've kind of gotten decent backup play as of late from Justin Anun. Gorgiev has been relatively okay. Should they be looking for an upgrade? Yes, but I'm not sure they will. Yeah, I mean, I really think they should bring someone in. I So... It, if if Pittsburgh's willing to sell, I'm gonna get this right this episode, Nedeljkovic, that seems like probably the ideal fit because he's playing well and he has one of the lower cap hits of goalies potentially available. I do like Capo Kakinen though from the Sharks. Cap hits a little bit higher, so there would need to be some retained salary and maybe even something more happening there to make him fit. Um, I think he's at about 2.7, maybe a tick higher. His numbers aren't jumping off the charts, but for playing on the Sharks, he's actually having a very solid season. I don't know if a team like Colorado just acquires him and hands over the reins, but you may acquire him knowing he's going to play a handful of games, and if he's the one that gets hot, he's your goalie. So really, anyone that... Th- those would be the two goalie names I would really think of for Colorado, but really any team needing a goalie, those are kind of the two names. So maybe Toronto, maybe Edmonton, although I think both of those teams... So Toronto's about to get Joseph Wall back if, if he was... Maybe he played tonight as we're recording. I, I don't know off the top of my head. But he, he's set to return to the lineup. Samsonov has been better since his stint down with the Marlies. Martin Jones has been relatively fine. And even Edmonton Stewart Skinner's where he was more so at the end of last season than the early season struggles. So should both teams maybe consider a goal? Yes, but just like Colorado, I wouldn't be shocked if they spent their assets and space elsewhere. I'm also I'm gonna throw the Kings into the the goalie conversation as well. They've gotten I would say surprisingly good play from David Riddick. I don't know if you can go into let, let's say they make the playoffs because right now they are they are in. Are you comfortable going into the playoffs with him and Talbot? Maybe. I would still maybe like to see them try and improve there. And maybe they don't view a uh, Nadalkovich or a Kakinen as an improvement. There are some bigger names in the goalie conversation here. Markstrom, who Everyone thought he was about to be dealt to the Devils. That ended up not happening, and now it's believed 
Um, there are reports saying that Calgary is choosing to not move him now, which that's a conversation in itself. Interesting decision, but he may not be available. There's the rumors around Yusei Saros, which have seemed to start to level out, like there could be a chance that he could get moved. That's where I would really see maybe the Kings focusing in on because that's more of a clear upgrade on who they have. So I was going to lump the Kings in with some other teams. So before I get to those, Oilers and the Maple Leafs. Maple Leafs definitely could use some help on the blue line get we started the episode basically with it Tanov Tanov would have made a lot of sense there Sean Walker would be a name for me Sealer as well could be a name uh speaking of the Kings Matt Roy if if available could be a name would be a really good fit for Toronto Um, the thing with Toronto that I want to say they're trying to figure out is um in the recent games, I know they had one where all six defensemen were left shots. So it, w- it would make a lot of sense to bring in a right shot. So like a, a Sean Walker, if he's dealt, would make a ton of sense if a Matt Roy is available. Guys like that. I, even depth guys like a Bogosian, I think, would just trying to bring in a couple right shots so they can even out their defense a little bit is, I think, their ideal trade addition. Edmonton, probably a lot of the top teams we talked about, probably a depth player somewhere. Uh, could be forward, could be defense, depending on who's available, what price, stuff like that. I could get behind either move. I could get behind a goalie. I just don't think that's what they do. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Skinner has shown enough in that that they're going to roll with him as their guy. And... Yeah, if they're going to improve, they've got a little space. I think they could really try and get another top scorer. I, I could see Gensel being a fit there. Um, it, it To me, it almost depends if they try to bring in multiple players, so maybe it's a defenseman and a forward. Some l- lesser names, respectfully, that aren't um, like a Gensel level, but are going to help their depth that would make sense we'll see so i think those are the definite buyers so where i was going to kind of lump the kings is in the could be buyers could also be sellers could do nothing so to me i see the kings the flyers the predators the penguins the capitals maybe the devils I I hope they're more buyers, but maybe the Devils. The Lightning are probably more buyers, but could maybe move someone out. Detroit's probably a buyer or st- or more likely standing pat, maybe. I, I would like to see them stand pat and not shake up their lineup. That seems to be working for them. That's my personal opinion. So, Kings? I, Islanders. Fl- I, always the Islanders, always the Islanders. I guess the Blues as well. We've we've been talking yeah. about Bucinavich. Yeah. And then, hey, I probably should add the Sabres in as well. Yeah. Uh, so all of those teams, it, it's kind of weird because of how many you just mentioned, and they're still in limbo about a week ahead of the deadline. With, I want to say... 
the Sabres being the worst team points-wise that you had mentioned. So I, I guess I'll kind of jump to them, and this sort of goes for all of those teams. All all teams, and Sabres included, there are players you can look at as, okay, they'd be pretty obvious to move. But standing pat and seeing what happens might be more of a... It might be the easier decision because some of the obvious players to move, you might be getting like a fourth round pick for. And sure, that's great, but it's not really exciting. It's not moving the needle. Once you're that late in the draft, you're throwing darts. Then some of the other players on these teams, so we, we've mentioned like a Buknevich with St. Louis, Saros with the Predators. These aren't guys that have to be traded now. They, a lot of these names on these kind of stuck-in-the-middle teams might have some control. So if they're at all iffy, like maybe we could make a little bit of a push here, that why move those guys now, revisit that in the offseason? So I don't know. To me, it, it's it feels unique. I don't know that for sure, but that there's that many teams still sort of in the picture. I even probably should throw the Kraken in here and maybe even the Wild as well to an extent. The I Wild think have had, they've gone on a good run. They've, there, right they've there. Gone, yeah, they've went on a run and gotten themselves back into things. I think we would expect them more to stand pat or send assets out. Um, but I think to me, a lot of the teams that I just rattled off, so Kings, Flyers, Predators, Lightning, maybe Penguins for sure, Maybe the Capitals, maybe the Devils, Sabers. In and out, I could see, I could see some, I could see them selling and also buying. Like I could yeah. see them retooling their rosters if the right opportunity is there. So that could be trading out a pending UFA. It could be making a two for one type of deal to send out a roster player and a prospect to get back someone else, or making two separate deals. Like we talked enough about Pittsburgh doing that with Getzel. Yep. Buffalo could do that. The Flyers absolutely could do that. The Kings would make a lot of sense. I, I don't expect them to trade a Matt Roy necessarily, but they also have like an Arthur Kaliev who would be who could be an option for teams. He hasn't he hasn't really found a footing in the lineup with them. So he could be an out, but then they would probably look to bring someone else in to make an impact. So in and out, really, like they could be sellers and then they could be buyers. So it could be early in the day, oh, this team acquired a player. And then later in the day, oh, this team sent out a player in basically a neutral type of day. So my head started spinning in a way, just thinking, kind of based off of that idea. So... Pittsburgh sends out Gensel. This, in theory, could even be like a three-team trade. I, I don't know where Gensel's going. But let's say Gensel to Vegas. There's a lot of those premium assets that you would think are going back to Pittsburgh, but maybe they go down to Anaheim. And then Anaheim sends over a Vetrano to Pittsburgh. Good player, brings offense under contract this year and next year that seems like what pittsburgh would be looking to do as far as retooling well also saving some cap space in the process yes 
So like that's one example and in theory all those teams you listed could be looking to do something like that. I I think the team that I'm most interested in seeing what they decide are the Lightning. They're they're a team that you don't think would sell, you don't think you think they would be buyers, but at some point they need to maybe start looking at their future a little bit because we've we've harped on it enough times that their depth is getting really really thin. And if they continue to send more assets out, that's just going to be even worse. So maybe at some point, I know they have cap space to work with, but maybe at some point they might need to say, hey, our futures are going to be more valuable than this than this playoff push. And I, I don't know if they're going to do it this year, but at some point that might have to be their decision. Yeah, so that's tough with Stamkos uh, on his the last year of his contract, he could be extended or re-signed after going to UFA. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, they are very, very thin in the prospect pool, very, very thin with draft picks. Um, they don't have a first or a second in this coming draft. They don't have a first in the draft following that. Um, they've been linked to bigger names like a Hannafin. I honestly don't see how they make that work just from a asset standpoint but yeah i mean they're a team so th- they're still scoring they're not having an issue scoring it's the amount of goals they're giving up that's kind of the worry so they could add a defenseman we've talked about the lightning before previous episodes it would make a lot of sense to me for them to add a backup to vasilevsky and they've got cap space to do it with Sergachev on LTIR uh, out for the year. Again, and you said this, uh, there's no assets really, so I don't know how they make these moves happen, but I would uh, I would be surprised if they weren't trying to acquire people at this point because they're, as of now, they're in the playoffs and their top players are performing like top players. It's that depth on the back end defensively that needs to improve so i think we'll we'll kind of wrap up here shortly sellers i think the teams that will definitely be selling calgary sending out hannafin still that that's a move that's going to happen that might be about they might be done after hannafin especially as as you alluded to earlier it seems like they're not going to move markstrom maybe maybe if something arises for like an andrew mangiapane they they might do that but i think they have to get blown away to do that yeah so calgary they'll sell hannafin and that will probably be the extent of of their moves the devils we we touched on buyers sellers to foley with the devils is is probably the question there kraken with jordan eberly would probably be the name to wonder a little bit about there. sabers probably more depth guys so we're talking about teams might be looking to add depth guys Oposo, Gergensen's, Eric Johnson would be the veteran type of depth players out of Buffalo potentially maybe they make a bigger move in like a Casey Middlestad or Peyton Krebs though those would be maybe the slightly bigger names that could be moved but I wouldn't expect anything massive sell wise they they would be more if they're going to make a splash move it's more likely a buy to me and then Ottawa Senators, Tarasenko definitely out. I'm not sure they're going to move much more on the 
blue line, there's been a lot of like smoke around them trading a defender, but I, I bet you that's more of an offseason type of move. Montreal Canadiens, I don't know who they're going to necessarily sell, but they'll probably sell someone, maybe David Savard. Savard's been mentioned. Another goalie that I actually did not bring up in that goalie conversation, Jake Allen, who I, I think a lot of people are kind of pegging him as he's a goalie that could be moved. Salary's tough there, which might complicate things, but I, I think when you look at Montreal, it's Savard and Allen as kind of the key key players available. Arizona has disappointingly fallen out of very far out of things, so they're they're selling at this point. They're selling at this point. I, my my prediction of them making the playoffs is not looking so good. So Arizona will sell Zucker. I would imagine's on the move. Matt Dumba seems to be a name out there as well. Um, they have they have other guys on like a Nick Bukestad could be going again, and Alex Kerfoot could be could be available. Um, I'm, I might be missing one or two. Um, Carol Vejmelka could be avail- available as a goalie, but he's had a rougher season. So, I Zucker and Dumba, I would be shocked if they're still Coyotes come March 9th. So if they traded someone else, wouldn't be surprised either. Columbus, I I don't know. They I mean they made the big Alex Nylander trade, so so may, maybe they're buyers because they did get Alex Nylander, but I I've, don't know outside of that. I've seen Provorov mentioned um, playing better with Columbus than he was with Philly, and there was already retained salary. So if Columbus was willing to retain more salary and ship him out, maybe that interest seems. They've supposedly been trying to find a team for Merzlikens. That contract is probably untradeable. Um, so that might not happen. Up front, it's like teams were supposedly calling on Boone Jenner. They didn't want to do that. I don't know if that's changed since the management uh, ch- changed there. So maybe that's something, but they might not have a whole lot to sell. Maybe Jack Roslovic. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, so Columbus, they should be selling, but as you said, I, they might not really have assets that are going to garner much interest, especially at the trade deadline. So then the bottom dwellers, Anaheim, San Jose, Chicago. I'm not I'm not gonna comfortably say Chicago's going to sell. Well, they have got i mean they're sellers in the in the sense of being sellers but they also seemingly want to at least stay a level like keep some of these guys around so i'm not sure how much they're actually involved in some of these trades i could see like more obvious depth pieces like a a colin blackwell yeah honestly like it's more depth pieces i think that they would consider moving at this point I think their mindset of trying to surround Bedard with enough talent probably is more of a priority over turning like a Ryan Donato into something. Donato is a decent player. Just keep him there to kind of continue building a little bit stronger each year around Bedard. I don't think moving players like uh, Donato or know like a Kurashev you're, you're not probably getting enough back to make it worth it so yeah I mean I 
I don't think they have a whole lot to sell. Tenorti would be your classical depth yeah. defenseman. Go, but like, yeah, I, I it, you you hit the names that I think could be, but I I also just don't think unless they got blown away. So unless someone's coming in really strong on on an offer for like a Ryan Donato, I yeah, I just don't. I don't think they make that move. It's Anaheim and San Jose that are probably going to be the big sellers. Anaheim Henrique seems like a definite. Although fitting him cap wise for a lot of contenders is going to be tough. Vetranos, there's been a lot of smoke around, but being under contract for another year doesn't necessitate a trade. And you always hear it's more of an off season trade. But Trevor Zegris, I wonder if someone maybe pokes around a little on that at the deadline. So th- those are the names. Uh, Vetranos like uh, would be a big name. What? whether Anaheim wants to do that I think the price would have to be right Henrik's probably gone no I I agree with all that I think if you were gonna say a dark horse it would be Gibson and not a lot of teams are necessarily looking for that top goalie which is what he would be looking to move to I've seen the devils rumored in the past but not much recently there so i that feels like something that's more of a summer thing than a than a deadline move so yeah i I think the main ones are really the henrique maybe vetrano maybe jakob silferberg as well but again salary wise if you're finding a tough basically tough to move henrique He's perf- Henrik's playing at a much higher level than Silverberg. So yeah. So I if you if you can't find a suitor for Henrik, it's going to be even harder for Silverberg. So Silverberg's a far superior defensive player, but generally a better offensive player versus a better defensive player. The offensive player's going to be more attractive and is going to go for more assets and when you're talking pretty much the same amount of salary retention most likely needed for Silverberg, it's just what, what is the return? What does the return end up really being? And is it worth it for another team to pay more for the retention? Probably not. So if his salary was cut in half, then we're talking. It being where it is right now, I think it's unlikely. And that brings us to the team that will probably be the fire sale of the deadline and kind of the end of this episode, San Jose Sharks. You pick most of the names on that roster, and they probably could be had. It seems like they're not real keen on moving like a Nico Sturm um, and then probably some of their younger players, but I think anyone else you make them a good enough offer absolutely could be had. I think the one thing that has to be pointed out with San Jose is they only have one salary retention spot left. So they can't play broker by any means. They're probably retaining on. I would not be surprised if Anthony Duclair is the one that gets retained because I think he will fetch them the highest premium asset. I agree. And so to, to take that even a little bit further and be a little more clear with it, because there's just that one spot and going into the offseason, the new league year, there's still just the one spot. 
they're not going to want to retain on someone with multiple years. So like a, a Granlin two years, well, this year and next year left on the contract, not going to retain there, I don't think. It would really be someone on an expiring deal. And like you said, Duclair would make the most sense to really maximize that return. I really wonder there were sort of some rumors about this, and it would kind of calm down more with the idea it would be an off-season thing. Logan Couture was kind of mentioned as being available, but he's not quite healthy, and it might be more of an off-season move. And that's one where I wonder if that third retention slot gets used and they just don't have retention slots for a little while. So I, I think they would really want to keep that spot open for one of the bigger uh, salaried players. They're not going to do it for a Granlin. So it, I 100% agree. Really, Duclair or maybe Kakinen, their goalie who should be available, maybe that's where they would retain, just depending on the interest level and the Barabanov would, would maybe be my third that I'd throw into that. I think there yeah. could be enough interest in him to, for a lot of teams, that getting him down to like one one point two five, that that could work for a lot of contenders as well. So Duclair, Barabanov, Cap, Kakinen, I I would agree with with those three. That that would make the most sense. So. San Jose, though, I think you you pick most of the players, make them a good enough offer, and I think the Sharks would probably be willing to do a trade for most of them. Really, those those three that you finished up with right there, that they should not be on the roster after the deadline. No, absolutely not. As we are trying to wrap up here, it looks like Leobushkin will be headed to Toronto. So Anaheim's already getting started on their trade deadline selling. I guess that means it's time for me to get to editing this so we get it out before it becomes dated even further. So, trade deadline week away. Appreciate you listening to this episode of the Max Stern Podcast. We're available on pretty much every single podcast platform. Analysis has trades happen at AFP Analytics on X, formerly Twitter. And we look forward to talking to you next time after the trade deadline.